The lesson for our consideration today is entitled, When Good Men Turn Wicked. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 24 and verse 26, we read thusly, But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them he shall die. When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and dieth in them, for his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die. No matter how many times we read passages in the Bible that speak of people becoming unfaithful to God, the tragic reality never really sinks in until we see it happen to someone who is close to us. That person may be a parent, a sibling, close relative, or a dear brother and sister in Christ. The closeness of the relationship that we may have with that person only adds to the pain that we feel when someone turns from God. Just as the prophets of, the old, of old leapt, wept and lamented over the unfaithfulness of Israel, we too feel the pain and anguish that comes with such experiences. The sad reality of life is that good men can, and sometimes do, turn wicked. Any man or woman who at one time was a great example of faithfulness for others can lose his or her way and become an example of what we should not be. As we examine this topic, however, I believe that there are some warning signs that can be found in the lives of men and women that we read about in the Bible. And I'd like to consider just one such individual and look at some potential signs in his life. Second <clears throat> Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, we read, And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in thine hand. And go to Ramoth Gilead. And when thou comest thither, look out there Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. So the young man, even the young man the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the captains of the host were sitting, and he said, I have an errand to thee, O captain. And Jehu said, Unto which of all us? And he said, To thee, O captain. And he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head, and said to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. Most of us recall from the story, the story of Jehu. At the very least, I know the names of Ahab and Jezebel are familiar. Ahab, of course, was a wicked king who ruled over Israel. Jahab was his Phoenician uh, prince's wife. There are many events that happened during the reign of Ahab, but this one is central to the story of Jehu. You see, Ahab desired the vineyard of Naboth. There was a problem, however, because Naboth was not willing to sell. Ahab went home to his castle, threw himself on his bed, and pouted. And Jezebel determined that she would secure the vineyard for her husband and developed a plan to have Naboth killed. 
Once Naboth was dead, Jezebel told Ahab to go and claim his vineyard. This, along with many of their deeds, caused God to pronounce judgment upon Ahab and Jezebel. By the time of our text, Ahab is dead, but his wife Jezebel is still alive, and their son Joram is ruler of Israel. The time had finally come for judgment to be pronounced upon the house of Ahab, and Jehu was the man whom God had selected to carry out the judgment. After he was anointed king and given his mission, Jehu quickly set out to accomplish the task that God had given him. He rode with great haste toward Jezreel, where Joram was resting in his palace after being wounded while fighting with the Syrians. The watchman on the tower saw a company approaching and informed the king. Joram, thinking it might be, thinking it might be news of the battle, sent a horseman to meet the approaching army company. The horseman asked Jehu if all was well, and Jehu responded by saying, What difference is, to you? is it to you? Come with me. After that, the horseman joined him. Joram sends another horseman, and he too begins to follow Jehu. By this time, the watchman on the wall recognized Jehu and told Joram who was approaching. Joram sets out to meet Jehu, and he takes his nephew Ahaziah, who was the ruler of Judah. When the two companies meet together, they were in the very vineyard that Ahab had taken from Naboth. Joram asks Jehu if all is well, and Jehu responds by saying, Can anything be well as long as your mother Jezebel lives with all of her wickedness? Upon the hearing these words, Joram turned to flee and cried out to his nephew to do the same. But Jehu drew his bow and struck Joram in the heart with an arrow, and he died. Jehu ordered his body to be thrown to the same field in which Naboth was thrown. Ahaziah attempted to flee, but Jehu pursued after him. He was eventually caught and killed. The king of Judah, who was the son of Athaliah, daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, was carried back to Jerusalem and buried there, and Jehu rode into the city of Jezreel. As he approached the palace, Jezebel began to mock him from a window, and Jehu called out to those in the palace and said, Who? is on my side. Three eunuchs looked out the window to him and said, We are. And Jehu said, Throw her down. And they threw Jezebel out the window. The wicked queen fell to her death and was eaten by wild dogs, just as God had said. Jehu also slew all the sons of Ahab and sent letters to the rulers of the city in which they dwelt and informed them to cut off their heads or be prepared to fight against him. The rulers were afraid of Jehu, so they executed all of Ahab's sons and sent the heads to Jehu. Every member of the house of Ahab was killed, as well as those who were loyal to Ahab. Finally, Jehu rounded up all the worshippers of Baal. Once he had them all together, he killed them. He destroyed the temple of Baal along with the images. By the time he was finished, he had completely destroyed Baal worship in Israel. What a great revival was about to happen. Jehu had great zeal in fulfilling the commands of the Lord. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 30. As a reward for his faithfulness to God, in other words, God allowed four generations of Jehu's descendants to rule over Israel. In fact, his line was the last to rule before the Assyrians came and took Israel into captivity. Everything looked good at this time. 
Jehu was a man who had great zeal for the Lord and had led the charge against great wickedness. Then we read the next verse. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of God with all of his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 31. Although Jehu rid Israel of Baal worship, he engaged in other forms of idolatry. A man who at one time showed so much promise became wicked and led Israel into further sin. What a tragedy. It is certainly disappointing to learn about Jehu's unfaithfulness to God. And although we read it again and again and again, the story seems ne never seems to prepare us emotionally for the loss of men and women who once were faithful, who once were zealous for God. If we look closely, however, I do believe that we can find some warning signs in the life of Jehu. There are three things that we need to watch out for, lest we or someone that we love end up like Jehu. One of the first signs of Jehu's future unfaithfulness to God was his boastfulness. Jehu met Jehonadab while he was carrying out the Lord's will, and he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Jehu was eager to have someone recognize his good deeds and praise him for it. So we learn that the man who parades his good deeds for others to see is lacking one of the most basic elements in remaining faithful to God. That element is humility. The Pharisees considered themselves to be very zealous for the law of God, but they sounded a trumpet before them when they gave their alms and loved to pray standing in the corner of the streets where all could see. We become guilty of the same boastfulness today when we seek to make sure others know the good that we have done. Jesus spoke against this very thing in his earthly work. He said in Matthew 6 and verse 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Jesus made it clear that those who seek the praise of men have that as their reward. As people, we often desire attention and appreciation of those who are around us. There are times that we desire others to notice the hard work and the dedication that we've put into a task. That in itself is not necessarily wrong. When others notice our good and commend us for it, that's fine. But we cross the line when we begin to brag about our own deeds in order to make sure that others notice what we have done. Once we start down this path, our motivation for doing good is no longer to please God. It is to please our own desire of receiving recognition. Eventually, this fatal flaw leads us away from God as our desire to please men increases and our, and our desire to please God diminishes. These two desires are incompatible with one another. Only one desire can remain. A second sign of Jehu's future unfaithfulness to God was his deceit. Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. In his efforts to rid the land of Baal worship, Jehu lied in order to get all the Baal worshippers together. He did evil so that good could come. He assured them that he was their friend and that he too was a worshiper of Baal. He invited them to the temple to worship and engaged in the actual practice of idolatry with them. Once the ceremony was completed, though, he was sure that all the Baal worshippers was present 
Jehu had his men kill each and every one of them. What a contrast this is to there is between the man Jehu and God's man Elijah. Elijah too had been given a task from God to confront the worshippers of Baal. There's no deceit or mischief in Elijah's actions though. He offers a simple challenge on top of Mount Carmel to prove who is the true and living God. And at the end of the day, after Elijah's fire to the true and living God, an altar has been burnt up. Elijah slew 400 prophets of Baal. The Bible very clearly speaks against lying as well as other forms of sin. Lie not to one another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. Upon obeying the gospel of Christ, we are made a new creature. All our old sinful habits that we once had were to be cast aside and removed from our life. There's never a time in living the Christian life that we can adopt false morality of the world and do evil so that good may come. Unfortunately, just as we see in the life of Jehu, this character flaw becomes a reality in too many of our lives and causes us to depart from the truth. Sometimes as we see God's people can become guilty of trying to do the right thing the wrong way. Our ultimate goal may be good, but the tactics that we use to get there are dishonest and wicked in the sight of God. Fact of the matter is that God has given us a pattern to follow. All scripture, Paul says, is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. No, the church is not to do things the world does them, the same way the world does them. As God's people, we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. There's never a good reason for any type of deceit or any type of fraud to be found in us. Nor should we use any tactics that are sinful. We need to be transparent and handle every situation according to God's word with the goal and ultimate purpose of bringing glory and honor to God. Our actions, our deeds, whether it's in the sector of finances or in the sector of our personal relationships, in the sector of our uh, relationships with God and relationships with the church, must always be open and above board. Finally, Jehu was quick to reform others, but he failed to reform or revive himself. 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 29 informs us, How be it? From the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, to wit the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. Jehu rid the land of Baal worship, but he did not have a problem with worshiping other idols. The two golden calves made by Jeroboam, who was the first king of Israel after the kingdoms divided. Sad reality is Jehu's zeal for God is only burned when it served his purpose. Christianity today becomes nothing more than a religion of convenience when the only changes we are willing to make are the ones that suit us. James reminds us, the Lord's brother, in James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and forgetteth what manner of man he was. God's word. 
provides us with an opportunity to truly reflect upon ourselves, to be honest about it. It points out our flaws as well as our virtues. As we live this life attempting to bring glory and honor to God, when it points out our flaws, we don't get mad. We don't go up, as the old preachers used to say, up the myth tree. We repent. We change our mind. We change our ways. We change our heart so that we can serve God more faithfully. Men like Jehu can easily tear down, but it's hard to build up. I think this is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, we ye which are spiritual, destroy them and wreck them and kick them out of the church. It's not what he says at all, is it? He says, Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Yes, there's times we must correct others, but there's never a time that we should not consider ourselves. Jehu was set on tearing down wickedness. He lost sight of himself and the need to build others up. In closing, let us learn well the lessons of Jehu. Let us have a zeal for the Lord, but let that zeal have a right motive and work in ways that God will approve.